welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. You're invited to join us on air asking your questions by calling in on the local rate phone numbers in the UK and the US, which can be found on ldnradio.org. Thank you for joining us. Today we're joined by Jill Brook, who's a nutritionist and researcher. Jill also suffers with severe POTS and MCAD and takes LDN. She's one of the research advisors to the LDN Research Trust. And she had a birthday yesterday, but I won't tell you how old she is. This show is sponsored by our members who made donations. We'd like to give them a very big thank you. We have to cover the monthly costs of the radio station's software, bandwidth, phone lines and phone calls to be able to continue with the radio show. And thank you for listening. Well, we'll go to our next caller now, and it's Amy... And Amy wants to know how she can lose weight when she can't exercise. Hello, Amy. Hi. Hi. Hi, yes, I'm having a hard time losing weight since I can't exercise as much as I used to. Do you have any tips? Yeah, that's one that we hear a lot. And I know it's really frustrating not to be able to exercise Um, But the good news is there's still um, a lot of things you can do to manage your weight. I mean, I think actually the worst part about not being able to exercise is just that it affects your mood and your sleep. Um, But in my experience, you can still lose weight just fine. Um, In fact, experts estimate that weight loss is 85% diet and only 15% exercise, so you aren't missing that much. Um, And in fact, there was even a study recently, you probably saw it, where they gave people Fitbits so that they could measure how much exercise they were getting. And the, um, the, the people who did get the Fitbits and who got little you know, chimes telling them when they had reached their 10,000 steps for the day, they had worse weight loss results than people who did not get a Fitbit. And they think it's because um, the people who were exercising kind of felt justified in having more little treats here and there. So sometimes I think, uh, at least in my experience, I've worked with, like, for example, a lot of injured athletes who are very worried that they're going to gain weight when they stop exercising. In my experience, actually, the opposite happens because you know you can't use exercise as a fallback. Um, So with that said, things that you can do are, first of all, just be really careful to avoid any blood sugar spikes because when your blood sugar spikes, that's when your insulin gets released and that kind of signals your body to put all the extra calories into the blood cells. So um, avoiding sugary treats and processed carbs is one. But other things that'll reduce blood sugar spikes is reducing stress, getting enough sleep, 
um, eating meals that have some protein and fiber and healthy fats in them, um, filling up on vegetables. You pretty much will never spike your blood sugar eating as many vegetables as you want. Um, the next thing you can do is um, maximize your metabolism. I know it's probably frustrating not to be able to exercise and get your metabolism up that way, but actually just eating unprocessed foods is thought to raise your metabolism by about 15%, which is a lot. So, um, you know, just going for those same foods that we talked about for the anti-inflammatory effect. Um, and so you kind of can kill two birds with one stone there. Um, of course, alcohol is a depressant that lowers your metabolism. So as much as you can avoid that, it's great. Um, I've had some... Um, some clients who have done really well with laughter yoga and they find that they think that that really helps to make them feel like their metabolism is getting boosted. So if that's anything that interests you, you could look up what that is, but um, that's a fun way to kind of um, get lots of the benefits of exercise. If you can't actually move your joints that much. Um, and then one other thing in the category of maximizing metabolism is I would talk to your doctor or a um, physical therapist and see if there is some sort of exercise they might be able to figure out that you could do. For example, maybe it's isometric, which means you're not even moving. You're just, you know, for example, holding a weight but not lifting it up and down, just holding it in place. Um, because there's a, you know, you've got something like 600 or 800 different muscles in your body and um, a good therapist might be able to figure out some that you could, you could safely use to get some exercise. Um, other things you can do, um, anything that makes you eat slower makes you eat less without even realizing it and without even trying just because it gives you more time to feel satisfied. So, for example, um, studies have shown that um, dimming the lighting and putting on relaxing music during dinner helps people to eat more slowly. Um, there's also a lot of research showing that people tend to feel hungry when they're actually dehydrated or thirsty. So you could try satisfying your thirst first sometimes and see if um, maybe you're not hungry as often as you think. Um, other things you could do, um, they've shown that lowering your thermostat can help you lose a little bit of weight um, just because your body has to work a tad bit harder um, to stay warm, although you don't want to do it too far because if you're freezing, then that tends to make you extra hungry, but um, a little bit lower thermostat. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is just be okay with slow results because if you are... Um, if you are not exercising and you lose weight quickly, you're at risk for losing a lot of muscle instead of fat. And so just remember that even when you lose a quarter pound of fat, you know, the scale doesn't look like it's changed very much, but that's a whole stick of butter off of your body. And so slow and easy is the way to go. Um, and so, yeah, so those would be my top tips. Um, and in my experience, I, th I think you'll get fine results. So I wouldn't be too too scared of not being able to exercise. Well, I think you've given uh, Amy some really good advice there, and especially with what you were saying earlier about sugar and elimination diet. So are you going to give it a go, Amy? I am. So many things I hadn't even thought of. So interesting. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank you. So... Um, 
I, I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask you, Jill, that um, people have emailed in. And one lady was saying she was wondering if she could take other supplements at the same time as LDN, specifically probiotics. And I know that's what you were talking about a little while ago. Is it okay to take those at the same time as LDN? Um, Again, I haven't seen specific studies on this, but I know tons and tons of people who do, and I have never heard of a... um, of any issues with it. Um, and so, um, you know, I guess, I guess I would say when it comes to a drug, you want to check with your doctor, but I have never heard of anyone having any problem with, um, with that. Mm -hmm. And we have another one from Sarah and she says she has MS and she's found that when she takes B complex vitamins, she doesn't sleep very well. She wants to know if she should have that investigated further because she feels that vitamin B complex is one she should be taking with MS. So um, the first thing that comes to mind is that B complex vitamins are you know, known for giving people more energy. And so I wonder if not being able to sleep might partially be related to having better energy. Um, However, given that you have MS, I would say anytime, you know, you notice something is off and not getting better, I'd I'd be on the safe side and ask your doctor about it. Mm -hmm. She also says she's been on a 30-day elimination diet and she found she was allergic to dairy, but no issues with eggs or gluten. And she's saying, would you still recommend avoiding the eggs and gluten, even though she's not allergic to it? So, um, first of all, bravo on making it through a 30-day elimination (laughs) diet. That's not easy. (laughs) Um, I would say gluten, I I would definitely avoid gluten, and I would avoid it forever, and I would avoid it entirely. Um, A lot of people don't realize that um, having a little bit of gluten here and there is pretty much just as bad as having a bunch all the time. And the research, you know, it used to be that everyone who thought they felt worse on gluten, you know, they would make fun of us. They'd say, oh, that can't be. You're just, you know, being high maintenance. There's nothing to it. But the research coming out is showing that the patients were right. Even people who don't have celiac do have inflammatory reactions to gluten. And um, boy, Dr. Tom O'Brien gave an amazing lecture about this at the LDN conference this past year. So if anybody is in doubt about this, if you're saying, I love my toast, I don't think I can give it up, I would recommend that you watch his, um, his talk because after watching that, after seeing pictures of people's guts with and without gluten, um, after he, he produced something like 40 different um, top-notch studies, um, I would definitely say get rid of gluten forever um, and don't look back. Um, as for eggs, that one is a little bit more, um, I would say, controversial. And so if eggs work for you, then um, having eggs here and there might be a good idea. However, um, there are two doctors who have done a lot of research on MS. And um, Linda, I don't know if, if you might know these guys. You, you're, you're such a big deal in the MS world. Um, but Roy Swank is no longer alive. But then his student, John McDougall, took over his research. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of amazing research on MS and diet. 
and um, and I just love how they came across it. Um, so Roy Swank was traveling in Norway, it's my understanding, and what he noticed is that Norwegians on the coast had something like only one-sixth the rate of MS as Norwegians inland. And he was trying to figure out why that was. And he determined that it was um, probably their diets, um, that on the coast they were eating more fish, and inland they were eating more meat and dairy. And so he pursued that line of research for 50 years and pretty much determined that saturated fat intake might be related to much, much worse um, outcomes in MS. Um, he followed his people for 50 years, and patients who were able to limit their saturated fat intake to, I believe it was under 20 grams a day or maybe under 17 grams a day, they literally showed no further deterioration. Um, and just to put that into context, so they were eating, uh, I can't remember if it was 17 or 20 or fewer grams saturated fat a day, but the average American eats 125 grams per day. Wow. So this was a very low saturated fat diet and not all of them maintained it. And unfortunately, the ones who did not maintain it, they really did deteriorate much faster. And, you know, there's a, there's a statistic that jumped, that remains in my mind. It was the difference between having 17 or fewer grams per day or having 25 grams or more, and it tripled the mortality rate over the oh, course of his study. Um, and so that's why, um, that's why when you mention eggs, the first thing that goes through my mind is, okay, one egg equals about two grams of saturated fat, and you probably want to just be really careful about how much you have. That said, you know, you could, you could do eggs and still may, re, remain under the um, 17 grams per day. Um, but I recommend, you know, look up John McDougall and look at what he says about MS and diet because he's looked into it far more than anyone else. Um, and, um, you know, I have to say one other study that remains in my, my mind that was just absolutely fascinating with these guys is that they compared the rates of MS in wealthier countries um, versus poorer countries. And basically in poorer countries, they were eating a lot of plant-based diets, whereas in the wealthier countries, they were doing a lot more meat and dairy. And um, the country of Japan, though, was sort of an outlier, and it was useful for the study because in Japan, they were a wealthy country, but they eat more like a poor country. And so they eat a lot of, um, you know, plants and grains and seafood, but not really much dairy or meat. And what they found was um, that in Japan, the, the rate of MS was quite low, like in the poor countries. And so um, I, find, I find those demographic studies to be really compelling myself. Um, and so that would be one reason to um, watch the egg. So I'm sorry, that was a really long answer. But, um, <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> I'm, I'm learning so much. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> and I, I should know a bit more about it than I, than I do. I'm ashamed of myself. Well, we'll just go into another break. So... If anybody wants to call in with some more questions or email some more questions through, we'll be back in two minutes. The LDN Research Trust was established as a registered charity in 2004 in the UK. 
we have members in most countries around the world, with approximately 52% in the US. Our aim is to spread awareness of LDN in hope that one day it will be prescribed as a first-line treatment. We have our mailing list, website, forum, Vimeo channel, Facebook pages and groups, Twitter, LinkedIn, newsletters, conferences, LDN documentaries, the LDN app, the LDN book, and now the LDN radio show. We're supported by a team of LDN experts who are medical and pharmacological advisors. The charity relies totally on donations and is operated by volunteers. We hope for an LDN and MS trial soon and we help and support doctors and researchers who are planning trials. Please visit our website. This show is sponsored by our members who made donations. We'd like to give them a very big thank you. We have to cover the monthly costs of the radio station's software, bandwidth, phone lines and phone calls to be able to continue with the radio show. And thank you for listening. Welcome back, Jill. I feel hungry now. <laughs> Talking about food. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, would you like to reply to one of the questions that have been sent to you next? Sure. Let's see. Um, Elaine asked, could digestive issues such as inflammation, leaky gut, etc., cause someone to have low sodium or potassium and vitamins, and how would one improve this? Um, so we didn't talk about leaky gut, but that would be a whole other interesting thing. Um, but in my experience, um, when you have low sodium and potassium, at least in my training, that means that something is making fluids not stay in use. So um, something like excessive sweating or vomiting or diarrhea or diuretics or laxatives or just malnourishment or extreme dieting. Um, because usually if you're eating a pretty normal diet and you have good kidneys, they will do a really good job of regulating sodium and potassium. And so if you think you're, you know, not having any of these issues um, and you're eating normally, I would, I would just check with your doctor. Um, as far as having vitamins, if you feel like you're eating vitamins and they're not getting absorbed, I would talk to your GI doctor um, because I don't think that inflammation on its own or leaky gut would be the cause. Mm -hmm. Okay, what, <laughs> me included in this, what are some easy things people can do to start eating healthier? Yeah, so um, easy things you can do. Um, I would say number one is um, sign up for some free nutrition newsletters because there's some research showing that when you get these free newsletters in your email every week, it just keeps you thinking more about it and it keeps it salient and it keeps you motivated. And so my very favorite one is at nutritionfacts.org. 
and um, Dr. Gregor there puts together some amazing videos that will absolutely keep you motivated and inspired to eat healthy. Um, other places that have free newsletters are the Mayo Clinic, the Berkeley Wellness um, Letter, um, Harvard Nutrition Letter, Tufts University Nutrition Letter. There's there's just a bunch all over. If you if you Google free nutrition letters, um, look at, you know look for the names you recognize and trust, and that's um, one proven way to to stay inspired. Um, Another thing I would say that you can do, um, there's a lot of easy things you can do that remove chemicals that you don't need from your diet. So, for example, next time you're getting new pans, replace your Teflon-coated um, nonstick pans with, um, like, different kinds of pans with safer, healthier coatings. Like, there's one called the Scan Pan or Le Creuset or good old cast iron works, um, works great. Um, and removing those chemicals will make you, make you healthier, along with um, just being more careful not to eat plastic. There's been some pretty um, alarming studies about how much plastic is in everybody's system and how much it can mess with our systems. So just making sure that you never, ever heat up food in plastic. Um, try to avoid drinking water out of soft plastic water bottles, especially if they've been in the sun or heated, out, heated up. Um, try not to drink hot beverages in plastic cups. You know, maybe bring your own cup to the coffee shop. Um, and, you know, even when possible, if you can choose foods from the bulk aisle instead of getting, like, canned beans um, because the lining of the cans has some plastic in it. Um, simple things like instead of drinking hot water straight from the tap, you can run it cold and then heat it up afterwards because your pipes um, will have metals and things that dissolve in the hot water. Um, if you can afford it, eating organic food is a way to nicely avoid all kinds of chemicals and pesticides. Um, and that would be some easy things you can do. Um, do you want me to keep going? I could go on all day. <laughs> well, we, we had, we had a caller. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very interesting. We had a caller who wanted to ask you a question, but she didn't want to um, say it online. So we... Um, have the question here that I can read out to you if I can get it to stay in the right place okay um, okay she has um, mast cell activation and autoimmune issues she says do you have any diet suggestions or information information from your own experience that would help her yeah, so mast cell activation disorder is its own big confusing thing, um, but my quick description of it is that your mast cells are too quickly releasing their nasty chemicals, which include histamines and a whole bunch of other bad things and causing all kinds of allergic reactions. And it can happen in any tissue and it can be mild or it can be so severe that some people are in anaphylaxis all the time. Um, and so a low histamine diet is what has been found probably most helpful for those people. And um, it's kind of complicated, um, but different foods can have um, more or less histamines. And by avoiding eating them, you can keep your histamine load lower and avoid more of those reactions. 
Um, the worst offenders are any protein that has gotten old. So basically old meat. So, um, you know, um, beef jerky or sausage or bologna or sandwich meat that has been um, dead for a long time. Um, those things have a ton of histamines in them. Um, if you go online, you can find lists of foods and histamines. And the, the problem is that they don't all agree um, because there's a lot of factors that can influence histamines. Um, in addition, there are foods that are called um, histamine liberators. And those are foods that tend to make your mast cells degranulate and release their, um, their, contain, um, their chemicals. And so avoiding those can be helpful. Um, it's another diet that takes a lot of trial and error to see what um, works for you. Um, my own, I know we don't have a lot of time left, so I'll just say that what I've, I've found that what works for me is to go almost vegan because when you avoid the animal foods, you can really avoid a lot of the histamines. And it's a little bit sad because some of the healthiest foods can be very high in histamine. For example, seafood um, develops histamines very quickly after it's dead. So unless you can like go fishing and eat the fish right there and then, you're probably going to be um, getting a lot of histamines. Um, so for me, going vegan it pretty much is what has helped me the most. And then in order to get those omega-3 fats to make up for being vegan, I do take a supplement for those. Um, so that would be my big um, my big recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? Um, anyone's welcome to email me. I'm jill at dietforhealth.com, and I can probably send them a lot more information about the low histamine diet or other things that they're interested in. That's wonderful. And we will have you back, Jill, on another show. The feedback we're getting coming in is amazing. One, one question people would like to ask, we're coming up to the holiday season for those people that celebrate Christmas. How do you manage, I know you gave one tip earlier, to go out and eat out and go to parties and not eat gluten? So you're not the guest oh, from hell, is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to spend a lot of time worrying about this and wanting to be so polite and wanting to not offend anyone. Um, and I would say, first of all, you know what? Um, give it time and everyone on the planet will be gluten. They're going to learn about gluten and sooner or later they're going to be happy that you turned them on to the fact that gluten wasn't good. So I would say be gluten-free, be proud, don't feel bad that you've got to do what you've got to do. Um, again, getting back to Dr. Tom O'Brien's talk at the LDN conference um, 2016, it was just amazing because one of the things that it said was after you eat gluten, you're probably going to pay a price for months afterwards because the antibodies that you make in response to gluten are going to float around in your system doing damage for a long time so um so eating a few bites of this or that just to get some you know um to just get your holiday jollies or to make the hostess happy you know in my opinion isn't worth it um, so that said, so what can you do? Um, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, bringing my own food, um, you know, as a gift to the, to the hostess. So, you know, bring your own dish of something to pass around that you can eat. 
um, making friends with people who are also gluten-free. You know, one of the reasons why the research shows that um, your eating habits are so affected by the people around you is exactly for reasons like this, because it is tough. It's really tough. Um, so the people that I've seen be most successful with it, they kind of just have fun with it or even get silly with it. Maybe they throw their own gluten-free holiday party or, um, or just basically make it known that they don't do gluten. They're not gonna, um, they're not sorry and turn it into kind of a joke. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have any magic, um, magic ideas there. Um, I do have a number of clients who have decided that instead of making cookies for Christmas, they're going to get into making really good soups and stews and things like that. Um, so, um, yeah, I have a feeling that the next generation, no one's going to worry about this, but for right now, we're sort of the ones having to forge, forge the way. So, um, if anybody has other great ideas, I'd love to hear them. Maybe they can send them our way. (laughs) What about alcoholic drinks? What, can you drink that is gluten-free? Ah, that is a great question. And the answer is you want to you wanna see gluten-free on the label if it's beer. And there are some gluten-free beers. And my husband tells me that they're okay. I, I don't, I'm not into beer myself. Um, and so, um, yeah, so there's a, a whole bunch of those. Um, the worry about other drinks that don't get made with grains is the cross-contamination. And so it all has to do with what was made at the same factory that was handling the grains that had gluten. And so I would look for things that say gluten-free on the label, or I would get confirmation like from the company website before a assuming that anything is safe. Um, Typically, the tequilas tend to be very safe because they're not made anywhere near anything that was made with gluten. Um, But, for example, um, if you want to go for, like, wine or vodka or other kinds of spirits, um, I would just do a little research and verify that it was made in a facility that didn't have gluten in there. Mm. Well, that's some very good tips there. So... Bad habits. What bad habits do you have, Jill? <laughs> oh, Dietary I bad habits. <laughs> Dietary bad <laughs> Oh, good. I'm glad you, glad you <laughs> narrowed that down. Um, I, I honestly, I get hooked and obsessed with things very easily. And so, um, you know, to the extent that variety is hugely important in a diet, my problem is that, oh, for example, I will hear about how healthy sprouted walnuts are and I will eat them and love them and I'll get obsessed with them. And if I had my way, it would be all I'd eat. Um, so, um, so I used to be obsessed with things like sugar and I have gradually weaned myself to at least be obsessed with healthier things. But, um, what I, what I found helpful is a gadget that I have, it's called the kitchen safe. And if you just go to, I think if you just Google kitchen safe, you'll find it, but it's a great little gadget where it just is a, Tupperware container with a timer and a lock on it, and I literally have to lock away my whatever my favorite treat of the of the month is. Um, after I take out as much as I plan to eat that day, I have to lock the rest away for 24 hours um, because I can't be trusted with it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Well, that is. What about you, Linda? What's your eating habit? Ah, uh, well, 
I'm going to try this full week educating my taste buds. I'll, I'll tell you in the new year. But it's been great having you on the show. <laughs> we will have you back again. It's food, food for thought and you have taught us so much. Really, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Linda, because without you, I would not know about LDN and I wouldn't be standing here today. So deep, deep gratitude. Okay. Thank you, Jill. The LDN Research Trust has an LDN Vimeo channel. I have interviewed over 550 LDN prescribers, researchers, pharmacists and patients from around the world for many conditions. You can find the link on the LDN Research Trust website. If you'd like to be interviewed sharing your experience, please email me, linda at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you.